1: Well, one of the topics that we're discussing today as part of the federal election campaign has to do with immigration. There are a lot of misconceptions out there, uh, and even more so now that it has become such a hot topic in the campaign. So what is the reality? I mean, are we letting in everybody? Is the system in chaos Well, to talk about that, we thought we would ask someone whose job is working within our immigration system. His name is Will Tao. He is an immigration and refugee lawyer. And he joined us earlier to answer some of those misconceptions and set us straight. Will, thank you for joining us to talk about this very hot topic during the election today. We're talking immigration. You wanted to emphasize some of the misconceptions, for instance. Let's start with immigration levels. Why do you think there is a misconception about that? What's actually going on?
2: Mm-hmm. I think the big misconception is that we're dealing with an, a number of millions, for example, in, in permanent residents, which we're not. Um, for the levels plan, for example, we saw in 2018 it was at 310,000, and in 2020 it's 340,000. And this actually hasn't been too much higher than it was back in 2006 and 2010. These levels actually have remained quite similar. So back then, let's say in 2010, it was between 240,000 to 265,000. So we're really just talking about about 50,000 uh, shift in the last little bit. Right. So that's not huge.
1: So it's the same kind of... 1% of the population we're talking about here.
2: Correct. And they actually aim for that in 2021, so we're not even there yet. And that's what the Conference Board of Canada, I think, really wants to see moving forward. Um, so, yeah, I think one of the big misconceptions is that, there are, that everyone um, is getting permanent residence right now, and it's very easy, and in fact, it's not the case. Is it not very easy? What is it? There are a lot of barriers. I mean, if you talk about the economic barriers now, language is a huge one. So for individuals who don't score very high on language tests and don't come in with a level of English, it becomes very hard. For individuals who are older, it becomes very hard as well to immigrate through economic streams. So in in terms of other streams, in terms of family class and those other um, humanitarian compassionate grounds, those levels have always remained the same. So it's really just a focus on the economic stream that's... Driven right. sort of more numbers recently, and that's a point system we have. Is that right? Correct. It's an express entry point system, and that system again is just it's it's very difficult to navigate unless you have Canadian work experience, unless your English skills are strong, unless you have you're you're, you're not too old. If after forty five, for example, you get no points, and it's very difficult to immigrate.
1: So we're from the way you're describing it, is that we are quite selective about who we allow to come to this country, which really is a misconception versus what some people think. Absolutely. And I think
2: one of the concerns that people might get mixed up here is because that the, there, there are an increase in numbers of temporary residents right now. So we're seeing those numbers go up quite a bit. So those are your students, your visitors, and your temporary workers. Mm-hmm. So maybe just viscerally, individuals, and I mean this actually even can happen with Canadians in permanent residents. You're, you're on a bus, you're on a SkyTrain, and you're wondering, oh, who's, you know, how long did you come here? Why are you speaking your own language? I think it's those visceral things. That have of caused people. What's to think visible, to yeah, and and that's maybe why the you know in terms of that poll, I think was it, um, Echoes did a poll that forty two percent of Canadians believe the country is accepting too many non white newcomers, and I think that that might be a visceral thing where it's like. Because why not white? Because we're seeing increasing numbers from Australia, United States, Europe as well. Um, You know, there's great programs for Irish uh, youth to work in Canada. Is it just
1: that classic same old issue of they are visible, therefore they get
2: selected for, you know, stereotyping. That, that is stereotyping. M- my belief. And I think when you're talking about these polls and you're calling people and then and, and they're in their homes answering their phone, their warm homes, thinking about what's wrong or what they're concerned about, maybe these type yeah. of things come. And that's where it ties into racism and those issues.
1: Another big misconception, I think, with immigration is certainly one that we've heard a lot about. Maybe you can set us straight. has to do with asylum seekers being viewed as
2: Q jumpers. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's been Andrew Shear's sort of angle, and we've seen that come from, I think, Maxine Bernie and a bit of the right wing. Um, I don't think that that's the case. Um, first of all, they go through separate processing, uh, which is very, very important. And I know there's a concern about Roxanne Road and, and a lot of individuals who have cross over the border to try and avoid the safe third country agreement. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of people miss the stories behind why that happens. And it it is a global trend. There's a lot of issues going on in the United States as well documented. But when you have these individuals coming from... For example, South America, Central America coming up uh, through the, through those borders in order to come to Canada. Or you have individuals who are, are in situations of risk but can't access those services to try and seek overseas refugee protection. And they need to come to, immediately and they come to the U.S. because U.S. offers visas sort of easier than Canada does. Once you hear the stories of these women who are facing domestic abuse, you f- families facing government persecution, you start seeing that you know a lot of this is rhetoric, and I think it is individuals who are just concerned uh, of people, the regular part of it, yeah. right? Where it's a, it's a different process than putting an application forward.
1: But there's also an assumption I think that if people cross like that they just get allowed to stay. And that's not true, And is that's it? not
2: true. And I think almost 40% of them get refused eventually for their refugee status. And, you know, some of them will be able to perhaps stay on humanitarian compassionate grounds, but it's not easy. And there's no way to go from, not a very good way to go from a refugee to an economic immigrant. And many times if they do have to return, their chance of ever coming back to Canada. This episode
0: is brought to you by Shopify. <coughs> do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS?
2: you know, I, I, I think that the, a lot of this is just a concern over the, the people and the countries that they're coming from and the, and the way that they're coming right. in, but it's been created by a global trend, in my opinion.
1: Uh, let's talk about um, the other one of the other... Th- Thoughts that get thrown out there all the time is that uh, immigration, people coming here are replacing Canadian employees, people who are already here, taking our jobs.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the things we have to recognize is we have a very low uh, unemployment rate right now, which is, I think, a credit to the way that uh, things are at this stage. But then the jobs that need filling in the food industry, in the farms – are being filled by newcomers and migrants, uh, and, and, and those ones are the temporary foreign workers. One of the things with those workers, too, is they don't have, you know, they're getting paid many times wages that Canadians would never accept, and they don't. many of them don't have pathways to permanent residence at all. Uh, until recently, many of them were bound by one employer. Uh, I know the government's taken steps to try and unbind, unbind those, two. so it's sectoral specific, but it's a very tough occupation being a low-skilled worker in Canada, a temporary foreign worker who supports a family back home. Many of them want to go back home. They just need that money to support their families back home.
1: So they come here, uh, in some cases, do you think, to just work for a season or two seasons
2: and then go back home? Absolutely. So some of them have to come back every year because of how that, you know that there is a big reliance on the Canadian employment to support the family back home right. and that's why I think one thing we should think about and I, and I agree with the greens on this is climate refugees and situations where we can actually do more abroad to try and fix things it is very important because if we create situations of instability abroad, individuals will come to Canada in frequent numbers, and then we'll have this issue that I think a lot of people are concerned about. If we make things better for them in their country's origin, hopefully we start assess, er, addressing these refugee issues and these concerns of uh, hardships and things that, that, that create refugees right. and create immigrants.
1: I mean, immigration certainly has been a hot topic in this particular election campaign. Mm. Uh, one of the other things we always hear about is birth tourism. Yes. And there was even recently this week an article about mm. how the numbers had gone way up.
2: Yeah. I read that article, and I, and I know uh, the researcher who did that, and uh, I respect his work a lot. Um, I still think it is a little premature for us to first see this as, a, as something that requires total system-wide change. We've had uh, birth citizenship by birth, since 1947, it's it's a long-standing principle of, of Canada. Um, it's created a lot of great families. It's, it's it's encouraged a lot of immigration. Are there people who are taking advantage of the system? Absolutely. And are there systems uh, globally that need fixing where we need to go probably to these countries and influence? Uh, you know businesses and practitioners and governments to not allow these practices to in, in, to be encouraged? Absolutely. Uh, but right now, I think one of the things that gets lost in this conversation, too, is we have a lot of international students, a lot of people who can't stay in Canada because they're on humanitarian compassionate grounds, uh, applications, uh, they don't have legal status per se, uh, but they want to have families here, too. And, it, and and from my opinion, as long as it's not becoming an abusive system-wide process and it's not coming at the cost of taxpayer money, uh, then we, we can promote individuals coming here to establish roots and and, and become Canadian and and build it through having children here and having families here.
1: Right, but where where is that line? You said as long as it's not being abusive, right? Where is that line?
2: I think that's where we continue to study, and that's maybe where we start thinking about ways, and I think some governments are doing that where they, I I can't remember what province is doing this now, but they're charging a fee, for example, for foreign nationals if they want to have children here in advance just to make sure that they have the funds to cover that taxpayer money. Um, so stuff like that, too. But again, you know, uh, one of the things is that this often gets drawn out in the media as, as, a, as a Chinese problem or as one f- affecting a certain particular I- I- Group. Um, if you talk to individuals, there's individuals from Europe, Middle East, all over the world who come here and say, listen, we want to come here as visitors. We have enough funds, to support ourselves. Uh, we want to stay here for a bit, and we haven't had have a child. And, and years later, they come back and immigrate as a family. Is that a problem? I, I'm not too sure. Uh, and I guess
1: the other thing about that is if they do have a baby here, well, they hmm. can't just automatically move here. Don't they have to wait until the baby is like 18 years old?
2: Uh, the baby themselves can stay here and stay with family and, and eventually perhaps when 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 they're over 18 sponsor. But I think the big issue uh, with that is it's the baby itself. Many times the family plans actually to return back to their own country. I think one of the things, another misconception in Canada that we have is that all immigrants want to come here and just stay here. The the, the reality of this global business and the reality of family ties is individuals go back and forth all over the place. And that's why actually we have a very generous two year out of five year permanent residence rule in 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 the understanding that not everybody wants to become a citizen although 86 percent do but people do travel back and forth and, and you know what if they're coming back 20 years later because they had a child who was in canada and they aren't doing this as part of some organized scheme i think it's great that they're coming back and because their baby is here and that they want to start a family here uh it's again when you know certain social services are abused or certain you know taxpayers are having to cover funds that's where i think people have concerns Well, Will, thank you very
1: much for joining us on this today. Absolutely.
2: Thank you. It's
1: Will Tao, an immigration and refugee lawyer, kind of working through some of the misconceptions that are out there on the issue of immigration.
0: Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the great white north and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective.